welcome to the Change Book Radio Show with your host, work-life fit expert, Deb Crow. Join Deb every week as she interviews the co-authors from all over the globe. They'll share their insights into self-empowerment with their personal stories and real-life experiences that will help your own personal development and touch every area of your life. Join Deb every Wednesday on Blog Talk Radio at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Radio show. This is your host, Deb Crow from Chile, Canada, and I want to welcome you on December 20th, 2017. We are on the home stretch leading up to Christmas. It's a busy time, so thanks for tuning in with us tonight. I want to thank our wonderful December 2017 sponsor, Diane A. Coran of TheMarketingDeal.com. Now, Diane's going to have a special for you that I will mention at the end of the show, but I really want to thank her for her support. She is a fellow co-author and a marketing guru. Diane is the author of the Marketing Deck series. It's a one-of-a-kind biz book trilogy. She is known as the wow whisperer whom people hire to wake up their wow. She is also launching her new online course, Time Mastery for the Time Sensitive, sharing Diane's secret to satisfaction in business and life. So I'll let you know a little bit later on in the show about uh, an opt-in that Diane's going to have for you. And I just want you to take a minute to think about something. Imagine if time were your good friend instead of your TikTok enemy. Time Mastery for the Time Sensitive is Diane's secret to satisfaction in business and in life. Who could use a streamlined online course? You'd like to burn your to-do list. You keep racing from fire to fire. You're wearing too many hats, but not the right one. Your Your sales efforts have too much madness and not enough method. It's time for Time Mastery. So on that note, I'd love for you to be introduced to our guest tonight. I'm just going to bring him live on the air in just a moment. I'd like to welcome George Aquino from book number eight. And George's chapter is called The Decision. And George is a life coach, and he specializes in guiding adults and adolescents through the addiction recovery process. He helps them with personal spiritual, and career growth. George is a facilitator and he does group sessions and has been for the last six years and has focused on recovery-based 12-step programs for adults and adolescent recovery, adult relapse prevention, emotional and spiritual recovery. George has a one-on-one coaching approach that works and helps adults and teens transform themselves and to learn to courageously access their own natural uniqueness, creativity, brilliance, vulnerabilities, wisdom, and humanity. So, George, welcome to the Change Book Radio Show. Thank you, Debbie. Pleasure to be here. Glad we could finally connect. 
I'm so glad. And I, the first thing I want to ask you right out of the gate is how are things? Because I know you were in Florida and the hurricane was devastating for you and your family. So let's start our interview by give us, giving us an update on how you and your family are doing. Well, we were very fortunate. We, I live in the uh, West Palm Beach area. So we were very fortunate that uh, the effects that we got from a Category 1 were still uh, quite moving, but nothing what the Keys and the southwestern side of the state got. So gratefully for us, um, nothing that we were, for me personally, it was more about loss of power for a few days, but, and over here too, most of it was more power, uh, but we're very grateful for that. But of course, the other side of the state and in the Keys were hit much worse. And again, those recovery efforts continue there. Well, I'm I'm glad that things are going well for you, and I'm I'm sure this Christmas is going to be even even more meaningful for you and your family, given what <clears throat> you've gone through in the last little bit. So, I want to talk Absolutely. to you about uh, being a fellow co-author, and you're in book eight. I was in book five, George, and then I came back mm-hmm. in book twelve. But I'm excited to talk to you about your chapter. So my first question for you is, how did you connect with Jim Britt and Jim Luke? And what was your decision to write a chapter and decide to join our global community? You know, uh, I had um, had a little bit of a a work change uh, back in March of 2015. And um, for myself, uh, you know, things happen for a reason. I had been starting to listen to a lot of Earl Nightingale uh, just for motivational, you know, uh, Norman Vincent Peale's book, The Power of Positive Thinking. And uh, just through emails and just kind of, you know, cooking on sites and following up and kind of wanting to change my thought process, even though by that time, you know, I had over 20 years of sobriety, I still felt that my thinking could get clearer uh, a little more, you know, more spiritual for myself. Uh, I love the quote by Les Brown that he quotes the African proverb that says, if there's no enemy within, the enemy on the outside can do us no harm. Um, and so through emails and clicking, all of a sudden, I ended up with an email from Jim Britton, Jim Luce. I can't tell you how I got there, but it came across my desk. I read it, um, went ahead and called. And I submitted, you know, they called me back, as you know. Uh, I set up an appointment with them, and they both called me, and uh, we had a nice half-hour conversation. They kind of gave me an outline of what the book was like. Um, I went ahead and got one of the first books, so I had an idea what we were talking about. And I just felt uh, I had been approached about writing, co-authoring a book a few years earlier, uh, by a gentleman named uh, Dave Mezzico, who wrote the book Contagious Optimism, and he's a great friend of mine. And I thought that I missed out on that opportunity, and I didn't want to miss that opportunity again. Well, I'm glad that you took them up on your offer, and I have all of the change books. Um, we're now on book number 15. I think we're just getting it's ready to close amazing. that off. Yeah, so I've I've read all the chapters, but I always can't remember infinite details. And I went back and reread your chapter yesterday. And oh, you're kind. 
it's it's very humbling uh, to do this radio show every week, and I I often say to the co-authors, and I know this is really the first time you and I have spoke, is I truly believe that we are a unique group of individuals now spanning across 26 countries, and I I think from our failures and our ability to exist and and put ourselves out there and be authentic and transparent, I think that we are slowly shifting a paradigm of thinking. And what I wanted to ask you was, your chapter was very, very raw. It was very personal. And I wanted to know on that day, August 16th, 1994, what was the final straw that broke the camel's back for you to make that decision? I think the um, the fact that day that I I lost the opportunity at that time um, that was a career opportunity. Uh, I had been working for two gentlemen that in those days back in the early '90s, the sports bar movement uh, here in the Florida area where I live, West Palm, was really moving. But the upscale side of it, it we were I was working for them it was a very upscale style casual elegance was really what we had going for a sports bar and i was on the verge of being made a partner you know that i was on the verge of that getting a percentage of the business and uh unfortunately for me that coupled with my marriage crumbling uh those two things came to a head on that day and um and being raised, you know, in a in a home where, you know, there there had been alcohol. My dad had been the alcoholic in my life. Uh, you know, I knew what it was what it was like to grow up without a dad. So the fact that you know my my son's mother had had enough of me, and she filed and was going to be moving, um, all those things kind of came together that put me at at, at that you know that crossroad of life. Well, and what I love about that, George, is I I will share with you, my mom was an alcoholic, so I certainly empathize you uh, as an adult, and I can only imagine the childhood that you had. I'm sure we'd have comparative stories, but do you not mm-hmm. feel in the role that you're doing now that you're just so relatable to those people that you work with, but I think it makes us, I want to say sensitive in a good way, but I volunteer at our local hospice and the director turned to me one day and she said, you are innately empathetic. And I I know through Al-Anon that when children grow up with a parent who's an alcoholic and sometimes I don't think they have a choice. And I wanted to kind of get you to chime in on that and tell me if that's kind of two characteristics that you see in yourself being relatable and innately empathetic. Absolutely. Um, Because, you know, like us being life coaches, like you said, this this fraternity, you know, 14 books, 15 books, you know, we're all sharing our successes, our failures, our vulnerabilities. Uh, if you really read some of those stories, a lot of us have been in the hole and a lot of us have learned how to get out of the hole. And so now what we do is we jump in the hole and help people get out. You know, um, I think also in the environment that I grew up in and a lot of people are growing up in now, Um, if you can relate, you can have empathy, you can have compassion. And there's no question about it that uh, because of my background, uh, because of my experiences, uh, the fact that 
you know, I've been able to, you know, I walked into to a 12-step recovery program, um, you know, back in 1994, and I'm still here. I haven't walked back out. It doesn't mean it hasn't been easy. It's been a challenge. But um, the, the, the fact that I've been there, I've done that, and I continue to show up every day, uh, as you know, growing up with it, you know, it's just something that you, you have to uh, really uh, emphasize. And, again, part of the work that I do with men, women, adolescents in these facilities that I work and run facilities is that I'm very vulnerable. I'm very authentic. I'm very raw. Uh, I let people know what's going on in my life at that time, at that moment, you know, so they know that just because I've been blessed with the time of sobriety, it doesn't stop life from giving us what? Uncertainty, hardship, struggle, rejection. How do I handle that today? How do I center myself today? How do I emotionally stay present? So, yes, you know, um, being very relatable and having those experiences certainly gives me empathy for the, the person that's coming in that has those challenges also. Well, and I wanted to ask you, when you're doing your coaching or facilitating a group, because I know this would probably be a question that you get asked quite frequently, George, is why do people relapse? I think the the thing there is that there's a lot of different ways it looks, looks at it. Um, I think for some people, they're not emotionally strong. Emotional sobriety takes time. People, I was, uh, I met somebody today that was on their third go around and he's so happy. And he had at one time had had five years and I'm always interested what, what happens to people? Because again, I've been very blessed to still be here. And he said he got bored. He got complacent, you know? And um, I think for myself, uh, I, I value the consequence. Um, I, I value the consequence of what would happen if I chose to pick up again. You know, because it's a choice now, Deb. It's a choice. You know what I'm saying? It's a choice. Um, And so I think what happens is people, they disconnect. See, the the thing, there's there's just something I believe that, let's say like you and I being a co-author, and I know you know Lucas from book one. He's tremendous. Lucas Robo, he's tremendous. And again, you know, we, we identify, we connect with each other. And I think in recovery, like for myself, I have a strong bond there with people, deep relationships, you know what I mean, meaningful relationships. And I think for the people that don't invest in that, don't put themselves out there, don't let, don't let people in, you know, they still kind of hold on to certain things, that, you know, that enemy within, that enemy within. And, and again, um, you know, if you don't really get to the point of understanding what surrender is, see, surrender is a personal journey. Everybody that recovers is on a personal journey of surrender. And uh, there, I believe some people just have not gotten personal enough with that. That's my opinion. Well, and I, I strongly agree uh, with you. And I love what you said about Uh, the initial response of relapse about the emotional sobriety. And I I think regardless of what program you're in, 
if we look at relapse as a whole, it's a cognitive behavior and emotional intelligence is really, it's just a driving force and foundation to make sure you're going to have that, that solid ability that you need to go forward. So that's very, very powerful. And surrendering, surrender is, is, is not only personal growth, but it's hard to go within. And, and I know I started uh, meditating this year and it was hard at the beginning and, and now I do it as easy as I put on my shoes, but we tend to shy away from those things that we're not good at right out of the gate because we're just such a fast paced technology. And I know that um, I'm in my fifties. So I know our generation, we didn't grow up with all of this fast paced life was at a much different um pace, if you will, but mm-hmm. it leads me into my next question for you. If we go back, George, to when you and I were kids, there was no cell phones. I mean, I remember our first television set, um, you know, the mm-hmm. phone that yep. hung on the wall and just technology as a whole. And you look at the rate of alcoholism back in the 50s and the 60s with our parents and our grandparents. And I think was it that they just didn't have the coping skills because life didn't seem so stressful, you know, when we were watching shows like the Waltons and, you know, family affair and leave it to beaver and all that good housekeeping portrayal of, you know, the husband would <laughs> be working. Reed. Don't forget. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and what do you like, what do you think it is? I mean, we can't make excuses for, for people, but what do you think it was back in, you know, the fifties and sixties that led to that inability to cope and, and turn to alcohol? Because it, it almost seemed like it was rancid during that time. In my own situation, what I what I've come to understand is is that, you know, you nothing went outside those four walls. You know what? Nothing went outside the four walls. You didn't air your dirty laundry. You know, it was what it was. And you just dealt with it. You put up with it. You put on a face. You put on a mask. You isolate. You hide. You do, you know, you, you get yourself dressed up and you make excuses why friends can't come over or you can't go to parties or you can't do this. And that's just how it was. You know what I mean? I think that's just how it was back then. Um, and, again, you know, the the stigma of of alcoholism and all that was was very rampant because in uh in the program of aa if you ever get a copy of the first edition of the book uh the doctor's opinion dr silkworth never signed his name in that book it wasn't until the second printing in the mid-50s 1955 that once the american medical association recognized alcoholism as a medical fact the doctor signed his name to it he didn't want to lose his license you know what I mean? So there was still a lot of that stigma, you know what I'm saying? Where today, unfortunately, as as rampant as it is, we're so open about it. And I think, you know, you said in your lead, you know, we're, we're coaches here that we're really leading a movement of mindfulness. What we're really leading is uh, being okay. You know, I tell a lot of the men groups that I do, and I tell them, you know what, I'm securely insecure. I'm a human being. I'm going to have insecurities. I'm going to have fears. I'm going to have anxieties. And it's okay. I'm okay. You know what I'm saying? I'm okay. It doesn't make me a bad person just because I may have a fear or an insecurity. 
And and I think that's the understanding back then when I was growing up that you couldn't do that. And as a as a young man growing up and as a young adolescent and even in my twenties and thirties, you know, it was, you know, as a guy you couldn't say, I need help and I don't know. It was seen as a sign of weakness where today those two things for me are part of my strengths. I'm more than willing to ask for help. I'm more than willing to say, hey, I don't know that. Can you teach me that? May I look that up? And I think, like, I'm 61, so the progress, I think, from there as we've grown, you know what I mean? You and I have grown, so I think we're more open to what uh, maybe our, our families weren't open to them when we were children. Oh, I, I fully agree with you, and I, I think that whole era was about, you know, the man was to work, and I remember in university um, finding a 1955 or 1956 Good Housekeeping uh, magazine, and there was an insert about, you know, 50 ways to be a good wife and things like the wives, you know, we joke and laugh, but they really did look like June Cleaver. Like they were at home tending to the children and doing the homemaking, but they were dressed like they were going to the office and and the house was right. And the children were clean and fed and they were to be seen and not heard. And dinner was on the table and the smoking jacket and the slippers, like that facade was so real. And it just goes back to the point that you said the internal family facade, like nobody aired their laundry. And I think I can't even imagine the emotional stress and pressure that that had on families, but it led them to not have coping skills because they didn't have anybody to talk to. Like it was such an unhealthy model, right? Yeah. Very unhealthy. And, you know, and now for me, fast forward from that time in 94, when my son was two to present, now he's, almost he'll be 26 this coming year, Uh, the dialogue him and I have, the conversation, obviously he's known of his father's condition since he was very young. He was three or four years old when he started going to meetings with me. So he's been very, he's been around it. He understands it. You know, we've been very open with that. And I think that's one thing as a parent, uh, I always say that you parent the way you were parented, but lucky for me, I was able to take the good and then the, the not so good that I didn't like, you know, I, I've encouraged a very open dialogue with my son. You know what I'm saying? I believe children need consistency. That's the thing that I didn't have growing up. So uh, as I got sober, as I got better, as I got healthier uh, in a lot of ways, both spiritually, psychologically, and emotionally, um, the consistency my son has received from myself is powerful, but also from his mom and her husband, you know, they've been married 20 years now Uh, on that side. That's been also very, very consistent for him too, a very stable environment. So uh, my son, you know, good, thank God, knock on wood today that he's really been fortunate to have a father that grasped it and stuck with it. Now to me, it's the most important thing in my life. Um, It's the number one thing, you know, Tony Robbins always talks about making a must. It's a must for me today, Deb. There's no doubt about it, no question. There's there's just, that's it. That's the number one thing. And then everything else, like this opportunity, this opportunity today with the Jim Britt and Jim Luce and with you and meeting the other co-authors is because I'm sober today. I'm present. I'm clear. I have clarity. 
You know what I'm saying? So to me, it's uh, it's really tremendous. I'm so thankful. Well, and I I think what you've done with your son is incredible and remarkable. But on a bigger picture, as he's grown up as an adult, you know, you have shown him and taught him that sometimes adults fail, and mm-hmm. you were able to get back up, get some help and move on as a champion. And, you know, George, we don't hear enough of these stories. We hear about all the bad dads and the dads that aren't present and the dads that do this. So I'm just so happy that you wrote a chapter and are a co-author in this global book series. I'm happy that you took your addiction recovery and took it one step further. And even though it's your career and your vocation now, for me, it's just like, you took this and turned it into a pay it forward of thankfulness and gratitude because you can sit one-on-one and look across that desk or facilitate that group and say, Hey, I've been there. I, I, I know how you feel and really have that innate empathy and relatability. And so I just, I just want to say kudos to you for that. And I'm sure your relationship today with your son is amazing. Yes, thank you for that. It really is, but also you're right. The the thrill of giving it back, the thrill of watching the lights come on when somebody gets it, when they hear something that, oh, really? And to me, as you know, it's just so fulfilling, so fulfilling that, you know, I tell people that if I could find a way to be financially stable, I walk in these rooms, those facilities, and do it for free. Because to me, it's just giving back, giving people an opportunity I tell people I'm there to show them the possibility for them also. You know what I'm saying? For them also, that it's there for them. A, regardless of age, it's there for you too, you know. And um, I'm, I'm very proud to know that some of the adolescents that I met a few years back now are at 19, 20, 18, and they're sober, and they're doing great, and they reach out to me. You know, when they're challenged, they know they can call me. They trust. We have a nice trusting relationship with each other. You know what I'm saying? And uh, to me, being of service and of help, adding value, as, as I'm sure you're doing too, and with this show, with the people you meet, with whatever interests or, you know, and in, in charitable organizations you follow and do, I think that's what it's about. It's about paying it forward. I really believe that that's what life's about, helping someone else, you know, Planting that tree, I may not see it, it may bear fruit, but plant it. You know what? Plant the seeds because you never know how many trees or apples you're going to get out of one seed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I'm I'm very thankful because I know usually when you have alcoholism in your family, it usually does affect one of the children. And... um I, I'm lucky that I always was able to have a healthy relationship that way. And I, I think what did it for me, George, and I'm I'm thrilled to share this with you is I always knew as a young child, like probably going back to like age eight, I knew that I was going to be like the best mom on the planet because mm. my mom didn't have the ability to, and, and she's passed away now. And, and I have forgave her because I truly believe that, she did to the best of her ability and had zero coping strategies. 
and Absolutely. very similar likely to, you know, the house that you grew up in. But mm-hmm. I knew how I was going to conquer and, and be this, you know, awesome adult was I became the mom that I really wanted to have. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes when you're a little kid, like you said, you plant that tree and it may not, it may not seed for a while or come to fruition, but when it does, it feels good. But on the same token, Hey, I've made mistakes in my life, but I show my two girls that nobody's perfect. We're, we're about evolving mm-hmm. every day as a human being and, and, and working on progression, not perfection. And Absolutely. I, I wouldn't give back any of my failures to this day because much like you talk about in your chapter, it has attributed to who I am today and all of those experiences, I think, make us a better person, whether it be a professional or a friend or a sister or brother or whatever relationship it may be. So I I really love that aspect of, of the way you wrote in the change as well. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs that I really, really liked from your chapter called The Decision in book number eight. So let me indulge you for a minute and take you back to uh, some words. So here we go. Awareness comes from acceptance that the decisions I have made and continue to make are mine. My happiness is up to me and no one else. It is freeing today to know that all of my experiences have prepared me for this moment and the journey ahead. A journey of awakening for me that involves encouraging, empowering, and inspiring people to let them know it is not too late to follow their dreams. To let them know they can walk to beat of a different drummer, leave those limiting beliefs behind, and go where there is no path and leave a trail. As Neil Donald Welsh espouses, quote, decide, declaring, create, and choose who you are and who you want to be, end quote. For me, that is a far cry from a life that was full of loss, discouragement, and fear. The only way I knew how to cope was to escape, stuff my feelings, please people, and wear a mask. Very, very powerful and raw, George. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, but that's, that's what it was. And again, you know, the thing is, you know, there's, as you know, we, as you go through life in the last 23 years, there's been times that I've fallen into, uh, stuffing my feelings or being a people pleaser, wearing a mask. But lucky for me, I have the tools today to get myself out of there or to have the people around me that I'm not afraid to go and talk to someone about it, whether it's professionally, personally, I'm not afraid because I'm not afraid to say, Hey, I need help. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, uh, yeah, just listening to those words, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I just know that I've, I've been blessed to be able to give some, give some books out, you know, to, to friends and family who knew me when, and, uh, you know, it just, it just really brings it back to mind listening to those words exactly where I am today. You know, I, I love to help people. I love to inspire people. Uh, I think that, you know, that's the purpose is to add value to somebody's life today, show them the possibility that they too can also follow those dreams, you know, lift those limiting beliefs. We're, you know, we're so held back by limiting beliefs. Um, and again, I'm the only one that puts limitations on myself. So that was well, thank you for that. 
Well, I want, you know, I feel like the concierge because I get to talk to everybody in the change. So just from our, <laughs> just from our short conversation, um, I would love to see you reach out to Stacy Carnaludi, who I believe was in book two or three. I can't remember. I will, I'm okay. going to make a note right now while we're chatting. I'm going to introduce you to her. She is in California. And my good buddy here in Canada, an hour away from me, Charlene Renault. There is some synergy amongst the work that you're doing and the work that they're doing. So I would love to see the three of you connect as co-authors. Would love to. And uh, get involved in the community. That's one of the joys. And, uh, you know, I say every week, it's an honor and privilege for me to interview all the co-authors from the Change Book series, because every week I'm in, a, I'm in a different place, George. I know. You, you travel right from Canada. I, I do. I, and, I, and I don't leave my home. It's just fascinating. I love but that. <laughs> I, I really want to say that I... Uh, I'm so heartfelt that we were able to get your interview done uh, before the end of the year. And I wish you and your family all the best. And I'm glad that things are okay since uh, the devastating hurricanes that Florida saw. And uh, let's keep in touch, George. And you just keep doing the amazing work that you're doing. And uh, it's just truly was a delight to, uh, to interview you tonight on the change book radio show. Well, Deb, thank you for what you do, and, and you know, I'm really, like you said, I know that we have now almost 250 authors, and I think only 40 or 50 of us have been on. you got to get the rest of them on here, you know, we've got to get, get some more traveling done. you got to get well, some more traveling I, in. <laughs> I, I'm booking into March of 2018, so I'm on it. Yeah, and I look forward to listening to it on uh, weekly on Wednesdays. I look forward to put that in my calendar, be able to catch up with some of the interviews so I can learn more about some of the, my other co-authors too. Well, that's great. Well, George, Merry Christmas to you. And you just keep being that amazing life coach and, and shining your light. And it was just a, just an honor to, to spend time with you tonight. Well, you're very kind. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate it that you working me in on your schedule and nothing but Merry Christmas and the best always for you and your family. Thank you so much. Thanks, George. Take care. Mm-hmm. Just another interesting author from book number eight, George Aquino from Florida, and so glad that we were able to rebook. Uh, we were scheduled back when we were devastated with all of those hurricanes that was going on all over the world. So my heart is smiling tonight that George and his family are doing well, and we were able to hear a little bit about him and his life coaching business. So I want to thank, again, our wonderful sponsor, Diane A. Curran, and she is the president of the marketingdeal.com. Now, Diane has a special for those of you listening. So if you go to her website homepage, let me repeat that for you. It's www.themarketingdeal.com. So early birds will get free access for a limited time to her new online course, Time Mastery for the Time Sensitive. So again, her website is www.themarketingdeal.com. And let me share with you her social media links on Facebook. She's at facebook.com forward slash the marketing deal. And her Twitter handle is at wow, Diane A. Curran. 
So this is Deb Crow, your host from the Changebook Radio Show, and I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight and listening in with my interview with George Aquino from Book 8, and his chapter was called The Decision. I want to wish everyone listening tonight, you and your family, a very happy, joyous holiday with family and friends. And I will be back next week on December 27th with another co-author from the Change Book series. So this is Deb Crow wishing you well, and I hope everyone has a wonderful week. Take care.